With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm the Wizard, Holden McNeely, and uh, ooh, Kung Fu, I'll put a spell on you. <laughs> no, not magic karate. Yes, I learned magic karate That's over the, the weekend. That's the worst kind of karate. It's a mean karate. So much mana has to be used. So much of it. And you got to get your um, really shitty cards out up, up top, and then you build up enough mana later on in the game to put the really good cards out. But then you throw that one card so hard right in the oh. eye socket, and it goes boom, boom, boom. Are you the bruiser? I guess I'm the bruiser, Jake Young. <laughs> and this is your weekly guide to the history of uh, the various cultural touchstones, the foundations that has laid out nerd culture. Now, I asked Jake what episode he wanted to do next, and he said, you know what I'd like to do? I think I'd like to do an episode on the gorillas. And I was like, ooh. And I was like, of course, they have a new album coming out that makes sense. And at the same time, like, is that, does it count? Does it make it in to the wizard and the bruiser, you know, um, ethos? And then it was like I did maybe the first five seconds of research. <laughs> And it was like, oh, this is like totally works. Like, 100%. oh, their music video premiered in America on Toonami. Yeah, they're for fucking nerds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what if someone did They Might Be Giants, but then they like had a cool trip hop friend? <laughs> and the whole band is virtual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really super duper works, especially everything we're going to be talking about, um, including, I don't know, like Tank Girl and every it reaches all the way back to 2000 AD, the, the British um, mm-hmm. comic book uh, magazine and, and, and uh, so so many so many good things this 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 world this that exists in and it was just a great excuse to listen to all the awesome music that I was listening to back in college yeah the best for uh, a lot of I feel like for a lot of kids uh, gorillas uh, like the one two punch of the self-titled gorillas album and demon days were like their kind of introduction to popular music for a lot of people it's kind of their gateway album uh in fact, uh, the creators, Damon Alburn and Jamie Hewlett, yes. have actually said out loud that, you know, uh, the Gorillas was like a virtual band that they created because they saw the crap 
that kids were listening to. They were the type of guys when they were living together, and we'll kind of we'll kind of tell the tale. We will mm. definitely tell the tale of how they ended up living together because that's an interesting story. But they were the type of guys that loved to sit and scream at the television at night, and they became close. Hold it, just like us. Yes, just like <laughs> us. And they became uh, close by realizing that they each were the type of kind of old men uh, types that would sort of sit at home and just yell at the yell at the rubbish on MTV. They both had a lot of uh, a lot of similarities that mm-hmm. led them to living in Which that hilarious because they hated each other when they first met. Yeah. Um, so why don't we take each one in turn? How about we start with Mr. Damon Alburn and, and, and really get into his past and everything that led up to his being a, a, a gorilla. And then we'll move <laughs> over to and then we'll move his transformation <laughs> in the x-ray laboratory that, uh, his created, arms growing in size, he bit, brow he was raised. Bit by a radioactive gorilla. Of course we know the tale. We know he that. Died. He died. He died. He died. <laughs> it's a radioactive um, gorilla. What did you think would happen? <laughs> and uh, Jamie Hewlett um, after that. So Damon Alburn, he was a man with a penis and a set of balls. <laughs> I don't know. What have I you've doing? been You've been on the dark Wikipedia, haven't you? <laughs> I was in the dark web earlier. I typed I, I typed it, penis and balls to the to the doobie, which is the dark web Google, and uh, a lot of fun fun things came off. Most of them were off of people. So, anyways, um, he he his father was the artist Keith Alburn, uh, interesting guy. Uh, just wanted to give a little bit about him. He had a liked, pop art kind of yeah, repeated patterns, mathematical aesthetic, psychedelic. He would take numbers systems incorporate them into into art um he would sort of blend the intellect with uh intuition and kind of create these interesting math-based psychedelia paintings which i think just is uh shows a little bit of the influence in terms of the kind of mind musically that damon alburn would become which kind of reminds me of somebody who was sort of very systematic but then also very artful at the same time and that that would kind of come out as we go now his mom was a theatrical set designer for the theater royal strap East in London, and um, they lived a very liberal, bohemian lifestyle. I believe the word, if you're living in South London and have that kind of upbringing... You're a bit posh. Ah, I was going to say sex house. <laughs> uh, they, uh, he said, I always. I, I feel like I would have remembered sex, sex house spice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I would have remembered sex house spice. I really would have. She would have probably been my favorite. Honestly, they all should have been named sex house spice if you were 13 year old me. But we've talked about that extensively on Roundtable of Gentlemen. Uh, I always thought my parents were absolutely dead right. I went against the grain in a weird way by continually following them. And I think that that really encapsulates Damon Alburn's entire career. He is very exciting and uh, to watch like in studio, mm-hmm. especially working on Gorillaz uh, music. It's very exciting to watch him work in studio. He has an energy in there and he's constantly just as soon as he gets comfortable doing something and he's gotten comfortable doing a lot of different things very well. He will immediately flip on a dime and, and try something new musically and in mm-hmm. art, which is an, a very, very impressive to watch as a person doing research on the gorillas. It's uh, I mean, it, here's the thing is like I was uh, you can see footage of Damon Alburn like working in the studio and Hearing these albums and, you know, hearing the kind of like trip hop, spacey, like soundscapes and and kind of uh, he always lays out these like dystopian end of the world kind of narratives. Yeah. 
seeing him in the studio just like a bloke at like age 29 just kind of like kid in a candy j- store jabbing on like whatever synthesizers he can get his mm-hmm. hands on uh you know the uh recorder sounds from 192000s that do 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 like it's literally Damon Alburn just in the middle of a studio just going do 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 and like surrounded by like record execs and producers all like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes excellent yeah go for it uh yeah it's awesome to watch it is it is definitely a, a music made by an excited person who is trying to branch out as much as humanly possible and uh it all started uh when he was studying at the stanway comprehensive school where he met future blur guitarist graham coxon uh doing uh theatrical productions um he went over to graham Coxon and he called his leather shoes rubbish <laughs> And Graham Coxon was, I think, pretty um, insulted, but I think that's literally what you would define as a British me to do. <laughs> um, so, anyways, they went off to acting school, and uh, he left after the first year. And and after that, he was in a string of bands, a band called The Aftermath, Real Lives, and then The Circus or Circus with Coxon and drummer Dave Roundtree. They then changed the name to Seymour, and I loved learning this. The so Blur initially was named Seymour. Be, uh, based on Salinger's Seymour and introduction, Seymour in the Salinger novels is a reoccurring character, a part of the Glass family, and uh, I love that story. And I, I, oh. I check it out. Nine stories. The first story of Wait, nine stories. Holden, your name is Holden, <laughs> and you're a fan of J.D. Salinger. I, thank God, because could you imagine <laughs> me, me upset about? Being a being, oh, a, you know, God. about Salinger's work. Could you imagine if I hated <laughs> I, Salinger's work? That's amazing. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I experienced something very similar to you growing up. My name was Jake, but I hated Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, I was okay. a Macho Man fan, oh. and it tore me up inside. I bet that ruined you. It's the same thing with you and famed author J.D. Salinger. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's very true. It's very true. I had um, famed Chiefs running back Marcus Allen. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of black guys. <laughs> nothing but a, a black guy. Yeah. So anyways. And showing up to places and people saying, you're not black. <laughs> I'm well aware. <laughs> and thank God for you because you had a Texas upbringing. Um, so anyways, they were in the band called Seymour. They got signed to a, a record label, one of my favorite record label names of all time, Food Records. <laughs> and the people at Food Records were like, we know how to name things. Your name is bad. Change the name. They wrote down a bunch of different ones. They came, uh, Blur was one of them. They ended up deciding on Blur. God, what is it about those British bands? Their original names are always awful. Like Radiohead's first name was On a Friday. Ah, <laughs> they're like a little soft. It's like a little uh, uh, Seymour. Uh, as much as I love the reason why they named it Seymour, it's a little soft. Yeah. It's just a yeah. little, it's a little Yeah, Can you imagine goosey. a band called On a Friday releasing Kid A? Yep. Mm. No, only Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's and, cool. It's a talking head song. So and, it's like, okay, I get it. And Pulp's, uh, the original name for Pulp was uh, the Dicky Dicky Boys. <laughs> <laughs> which they immediately changed to Pulp, which is a much better sound for them. Of course, Oasis was just straight up, um, you know, uh, a, a slur for gay people. They decided to change. They're like, but it means a bundle of sticks. It's what we, we're like a bundle of sticks, you Together, know? you cannot break us. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, they ended up getting together uh, David Alburn, Graham Coxon, bassist Alec James, and drummer Dave Roundtree, as mentioned before, uh, are 
are now the group Blur, and they created a bunch of awesome Britpop albums. Modern Life is Rubbish, Park Life, The Great Escape. Uh, Marcus, you're a Blur fan. Now, are you a fan of their earlier Britpop work, or is it more their more experimental stuff that they ended up doing later? Experimental stuff. Okay, cool. But let's give them a little introduction to the Britpop Mm -hmm. version of Blur uh, with a little-known number called... It's one of their massive, most massive hits. A big-known... Fatty number. 15.7 million views <laughs> on YouTube. You may not have heard of it, but we're going to play it for you now. A cult classic <laughs> called Girls and Boys. This, I, I mean, this was a great song to attempt to make out with someone in the, on the dance floor. <laughs> Now, the thing about Britpop is that it was it was kind of a self-contained thing. It was, like, defiantly British. Yes. Which made it harder to sell across, uh, the, uh, across and, the old Atlantic. And pretty anti-grunge, I feel like, in a mm-hmm. big way. Because it was, like, dance hall numbers, you know? Like, sort of... Uh, it also uh, came out of bands like Happy Mondays, the whole Madchester scene and all yes. that. Yes. It was very dancey. Yes. And it was uh, pretty British boys. They were all part of, like, a really elite sort of club. Um, back in the day. Yeah, you have to understand that in Europe, you can go to a dance club and still be ugly. Yes. Which is very important <laughs> yes. in how the music there shifted. Now, Blur really, and this will kind of definitely come t- through with the gorillas and what they were trying to do later on, but Blur had a big sense of humor. A lot of the lyrics in, in, in Blur songs were very cheeky <laughs> and sort of fun and, and very against the grain and kind of rolling its eyes at a lot of sort of social norms and pop popular idols and, and things like and that. Damon was and trends as well. Like they've yes. got a very big eye, or they've got a great eye for trends. Yes, and that will always be a thing for for especially Damon Albarn. Uh, always very anti-trendy in what's going on and kind of calling shit out for what it is. Yeah, which makes Song 2 one of the most ironic hits <laughs> of all time. So, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, right before that happened, too, I do want to mention uh, the Battle of Britpop that happened between Oasis and um, Blur. It was a big deal. Uh, so, anyway, here's Wonderwall. essentially what happened was damon alburn and uh the gallagher boys uh sort of were always going head to head because they were always competing for the number one spot on the charts where previously um you know the rolling stones and the beatles they staggered their releases they kind of had a more uh camaraderie uh fellowship while oasis and Blur would go head to head against each other. Yeah, it was there was literally one where they made a big like social pop deal about it where they were going to drop their new singles on the same day and see who won. Blur ended up winning, very akin to what would later happen between 50 Cent and Kanye West. Mm. But uh there was this kind of sting to it though because yes. Oasis were they were like the working man. They were from Manchester. Yeah. They were up north. They were you know they were they were or east. I don't know what who England looks like. Uh, <laughs> the mids. The mids. <laughs> They're in the, the, the lily land. The lolly area. Um, and uh, like I've you know, been there and I don't even remember. Which is weird. I saw old news reports and it was weird seeing these like you know late nineties. British women going to be like, oh, they're too hard, ain't they? They're just, a, you know, they're so gruff. And I'm like, Oasis? Yeah. Are you like, I guess compared to Blur, I guess, but like Oasis? <laughs> yeah. Like I know, the bad right? boys? Oh, they're the champagne wo- supernova. Yeah. Oh, they're dude, the I can't music. handle this hardcore music. You know what I'm saying? 
that was crazy. Ugh, and I have a story. I had tickets to see Oasis, okay? I had free tickets to see them. I got free tickets through the guy because I had a relative that worked for um, an auditorium in Charlotte. They canceled the day of the show. I was waiting for my friend to pick me up when I got the news that they canceled because the brothers got into a fucking fight. And I came to find out that not only at that at that ticket booth was waiting f- two free tickets for me, but also backstage passes and a t-shirt. And I'm so pissed. I'm so and I still got the t-shirt. And I I didn't burn it, but I should have. You gotta and, roll with it. You uh, gotta <laughs> take your time. You gotta say what you say. You oh, Holden, don't look back in anger. Yay! Yay! Super producer Marcus Parks, bless you. Unbelievable. My own co-host. But the twist of the knife was that Oasis killed overseas. Yes. Uh, What's the story? Morning Glory and Wonderwall and all that was were insane hits in America. So like they kind of they kind of walked away from that fight. The victor. Blur kind of just. Stayed a local thing. And they got shit on, like, Blur got <laughs> shit on hard mm-hmm. because of this whole working man thing. And the tabloids just went after them for some weird reason. And uh, so what happened was they went through a weird time. Um, uh, uh, Graham Coxon was drinking a lot, um, was in protest listening to bands like Pavement and other American acts that it was getting largely influenced by. And uh, Damon Alburn did what I was mentioning earlier, kind of when he gets really good at something, he sort of decides to let it go he literally said i can sit at my piano and write brilliant observational pop songs all day long but you've got to move on <laughs> and so they he, he you know D- graham coxon kind of chilled out a little bit came back to damon alburn they damon alburn started letting those influences come in um a little bit more they experimented with different genres with uh shoegaze and the album leisure with um they did, of course there was uh that was before actually the brit pop with park life and those ones but then they ended up doing some lo-fi indie rock and they got big with song two but and clarify me if this i'm wrong i've heard this but i didn't dig in and i meant to circle back around to song two song two is making fun of it's a joke alternative yeah. music yeah. right so- song two is a total and complete joke it's the same like, kind of like girls are like boys where if you watch the music video he is just like clearly <laughs> shitting on these types of songs in by singing. both gorillas albums and in blur albums there's just always a throwaway punk song that they just kind of like slap in there. Mm-hmm. Well, song two was, I mean, it was him saying, I can do it. He, it was him listening to all the grunge that was going on in America. I mean, like, yeah, I can fucking do that. Uh, and boy, and did he. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, every, everyone knows that you know this song. You know, yeah. I saw yeah. it on a car commercial like a week ago. I saw I, a, a day ago. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I can't believe they're still using it in car commercials. Capitalism. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. <laughs> Like low APR rates. <laughs> because this Check re- your local Toyota dealer. We're about to now. see a car go down the road. <laughs> Rated first in class by JD Power and Associates. I mean, four built. <laughs> it is that. It's a, it is literally thirty seconds. How much money did they make off of 30 <laughs> fucking seconds? It's, it's got to be one of the most licensed songs for commercials of all time. Easily. Right behind, like, like a rock. Oh, yeah. Uh, commercials, like, movie trailers, montages. It's insane. <laughs> it's in fucking sane. Um, yeah. I watched, uh, during my lunch break today, I watched an episode of South Park where they use this <laughs> yeah. song in, like, a hockey game montage as yeah. a joke. It's like, fucking it's, crazy. Yeah, it, it got to be, it is, the, I saw a joke about a joke today. <laughs> uh, and it's on the album Blur. 
Um, and which is th- the first Blur, blur album I ever heard. Of course. Now, yeah, yeah, I mean the of first course, right? Yeah, uh, fuck it. Yeah, oh yeah, me fucking th- twelve years old in Texas is gonna hear Park Life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also I want to mention that uh, Alburn said in like an interview, one of the first ever Gorilla tunes was Blur's nineteen ninety seven single "On Your Own," hmm. which was released for their self titled studio album Blur. We're not gonna play it for you now because we have a bunch of other songs to play for you, but very interesting track. I would go check it out if I were you. Now they also went on to do the album Thirteen. Teen, which was an electronic and gospel album, and Think Tank, which had hip-hop, African music, and Middle Eastern music. 13's probably my favorite Blur album, okay. and I did not like Think Tank. Okay, I, interesting. I, I remember being pretty disappointed with Think Tank when it came out. I definitely just felt- Think Tank was after the first Gorillaz album. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Yeah, okay. And that would make sense. And then they, then so they're circling back around to the sort of the hip hop influences that came into Gorillaz. Um, they were staunchly British in their music until around the album Blur. And uh, then they sort of started getting into the American influences. I really do think that that sort of opened the doors to what would later become the Gorillaz. Now, that brings us to Jamie Hewlett. Jake? <laughs> oh, he was a cartoonist. Okay. He, he uh, you know, had a fun <laughs> style, he did stuff for 2000 AD. Um, but well, he had and a, a deadline more specifically. Oh. But the creators of 2000 AD created, or, or two illustrators from 2000 mm. AD created Deadline, and he was featured on there with, of course, Tank Girl. Yeah, and uh, Tank Girl was kind of a there. You know, there was a 90s indie comics boom. Stuff like uh, the Mask, the Tick. Uh, Fuck yeah! You know, it was just a so it was. I feel like just every once in a while, uh, the mainstream media finds a rich vein of ideas and just kind of taps it. And uh, in the 90s, indie comics was one of those places. So naturally, uh, Tank Girl, which was this popular character, you know, she's kind of like a punk rock, kind of subversively military uh, rocker chick. She's a riot girl. Yeah. Yes, she was a riot girl. And she was the face in a lot of ways of the riot girl movement. She was actually really big. Like they kind of took Mm. her imagery and applied it to what what was happening like was it was their right Wonder place Woman. right time yeah kind of yes exactly and uh, of course she had a mutant kangaroo boyfriend named Booga mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the comic itself was kind of irreverent like Jamie had this like weird habit of in the middle of plot lines just kind of like going like I'm sick of it we blew stuff up and things kicked ass the end <laughs> yeah. it was very rarely narrative driven it was a lot more about the jokes a lot mm-hmm. more about the visuals it ha- and 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 a lot more about the attitude and the basic sort of vibe. Um, uh, and also, I do want to say, too, Hewlett was in a band um, back in the day called University Smalls, where he met uh, Philip Bond, who he would go on to create a lot of works with. Philip Bond did Wired World for... Uh, oh, Philip Bond, the artist? For Deadline, yeah. Wi- oh, Philip Wired, Bond Wired is World. amazing. He uh, did a lot of work on Invisibles, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah he, he was really big, and they went on to sort of all contribute to Deadline. Um, they, Yet another hint that we have to do a great... Morrison, yeah, like months, ser- dude. Seriously, like multiple episodes. It's it's gonna happen. His gross Scottish bald head haunts us <laughs> like a black moon. It's, it's gonna be ridiculous. And 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 uh, the, so they were together in a band, and they had a song called "Rocket Girl," which is based on a girl that Hewlett had a crush on, who they called a Rocket Girl because she looked like a girl from the uh, indie book comic book Love, Love and, and Rockets. Rockets. Yeah. So, anyways, and then they ended up with Tank Girl from that song, and uh, ended up creating all that stuff um and yeah big hit in deadline went on to be you know 
huge all, all across the world. And if you're interested in that early work, now it went on to be written by other people and yeah. things like that. And by the way, he has nothing to do with the film that came out that was not but it's, so great. But it's still his movie. It's yeah. still his song too. It's yeah. still like the peak of, uh, you know, uh, I, there's there's kind of a twin wave going on where Damon Albarn, uh, you know, was writing the Brit pop wave and like yep. the grunge and you know the the rock wave and uh, Jamie Hewlett, it also kind of reached the peak of his particular '90s art form yes. with a major motion picture, only to have it. Uh, not only tank like um, as a film, but like kind of just ruin the character. Yeah, yeah. but it's, but shout outs to Laurie Petty, who it, I do love. It is the worst. I still consider it to be the worst movie I've ever. Like it's it, terrible, it is angeringly bad. It's very bad. Yeah, Laurie Petty though, <laughs> my heart goes out to you. And the makeup effects on Ice T as the kangaroo boyfriend, terrible. <laughs> 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 good, pretty good soundtrack though. Yeah, yeah, good soundtrack. But... Whole. Bjork, he had a bunch of goodies on there. Yeah, and it's one. It's I mean, it's just one of those movies. Just like from the moment it starts, it's like I'm gonna hate this, and then yeah. you watch the whole goddamn thing. And it made me now I want to go back and check out the work um, because the actual comic book is based off looks fucking rad as shit. It's I was really good. I was looking at a bunch of stuff and you can actually get I was eyeing this. I was really close in the trigger, but it's a uh, uh, whole of Tank Girl, uh, which came out. It's on uh, $68 on Amazon. It was published by Titan Books in 2012. And that is all of the original Hewlett uh, Martin. Alan Martin was his uh, co-creator. All their original material that was in, you know, those early uh, issues of deadline and everything so but uh with the with the you know he passed off tank girl to other creators the movie didn't work out and like he was struggling to find another hit he ended up doing a lot of commercial work because he does have yes. a very hip kind of a uh, street level style mm -hmm. and uh he ended up uh, breaking up with his girlfriend, yes. uh, an original member of the band Elastica. So he was always kind oh, of in. Shit. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Now, God, well, that whole band was hot. Yeah, I know. They're really hot. And they are heartbreakers, as we will come to find out. They, <laughs> they kind of co created the gorillas <laughs> in so many words. And that uh, first album is fucking amazing. Yeah. Front, front to back. It's, good. It, it's so good. I listened fucking to a little bit, but I was listening to so much music that I was like, fuck, I yeah. want to sit down and listen to this, but I got to move on. You got to sit down with the whole. It, it is a fucking awesome. Some album. Well, they're like punk, post-punk. They're like a bunch of a bunch of different interesting influences. They did totally rip off uh, the guitar for, uh, for Connection from Wire, ah. but still, they are smoking hot. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, so but but Hewlett had already had like musical kind of connections. He provided covers for bands like Senseless Things and Cud. He uh, did a really cool, and I would I would say look this up too. He created a comic strip, which I think somebody just did like kind of a video music video. Uh, recording kind of a, a camera uh, overview of the comic strip, but it's for pulp song uh, common, common people. people. Wanna live like common people. Da, 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 da. Anyways, it's really cool. Check it out. It's on YouTube. Um, and uh, so after Deadline failed, he gets into advertising. He's kind of working with these bands. He ends up uh, dating s the smoking, <laughs> smoking hot. Uh, oh, what is her name? I, Jane Oliver? Jane Oliver was the one that Hewlett was seeing. Uh, and Alburn was seeing Justine Frischman <laughs> of Elastica. Justine's the one, man. And they, <laughs> they, they, yeah. and they had a highly publicized. Uh, this is an audio format, but uh, for the listeners. <laughs> Marcus just looked towards the horizon wistfully. <laughs> so, yeah. The video for a connection was very important. Okay. All right. Young. We, gotta, we, we need to move fast because the air in here is so thick right now. 
Um, so yeah, so these two end up getting. Well, well originally they d- had uh, Hewlett do an interview. Interview blur. Graham Coxon is actually the one that you could almost kind of link back to the reason why the gorillas got together. Graham Coxon of Blur. He loved Hewlett's work and asked Hewlett to interview Blur. And Alburn and Hewlett did not like each other. Hewlett said, me and Damon absolutely hated each other at first. Damon was very competitive and I had the whole tank thing, tank girl thing going on. Uh, so they didn't get on, as they say in Britain. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, too, which another reason why there was there was a, a bit of a issue was, I guess, Hewlett started dating Jane Oliver after uh, Coxon and her broke up. So it was a lot of just mm, interesting sort of bands being bands, as one might say, <laughs> uh, in jolly old England at that time. But, of course, around the same time, uh, both ladies ended up breaking up with both boys. And I think... In a we- it almost sounds like they begrudgingly so <laughs> ended up uh, living in a flat together. Yeah. Wow. Hewlett and Alvern. And and that's when they found out that they both were the type of person to sit late at night and yell at the TV while they were watching MTV. They were screaming about how shitty the everything it's, was the about two it. Two things were happening in America: the boy band, like pop, uh-huh. the the whatever the Orlando wing of pop music oh, is called, mm, that, was completely that. going full like full blazes. Meanwhile, in England, uh, uh, Simon Cowell had started the, it was called Pop Idol, but it's the, exactly the same as American Idol. Mm. So all these like bright eyed, like, you know, pop artists were just kind of like getting churned out and then like mushed into a fabricated mold. And so. The, and rock music fucking sucked. Yeah. And rock music was pretty. I mean, well, are you, what, what, are what was this about? like 98, 99? Oh, yeah. Are we talking about Creed? Are we talking? We're talking we- Creed. We're talking Seven Mary Three. Yeah. Corn. Limp Biscuit, all whoa, those whoa, guys whoa, are starting. Whoa, whoa you do <laughs> not insult box. the next subject of our of our podcast. <laughs> Wizard and the Bruiser presents Seven Mary Three. <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, rap rock. <laughs> are you feeling like a bit of a freak on a leash right now? <laughs> okay, I get I it. I just want to break it. stuff. Well, a little bit of a connection there with old Mr. McFarlane and Corn. Uh, we have actually yeah. talked about Corn in a legitimate way on a Wizard and the Bruiser episode. Yeah, um, but pop music in general during those years was I mean to be fair to them mm-hmm. absolute oh, garbage rubbish. Like, it was awful so uh, drunken yelling becomes drunken pontificating he becomes said, drunken collaborating we'd spend hours watching MTV and wondering why everything on it was so terrible I think Damon was tired of being the front man for Blur and I was just aghast at how boring most pop groups are when they're interviewed look at them on television all sat on the couch with nothing to say so we said let's make up a fake band so that's what they did. And that was from an interview from The Guardian. They said they wanted to turn the whole notion of a pop group on its head. Because when the members of the group aren't real, you can make up histories for them that are <laughs> as ridiculous and outrageous as you like. And then suddenly it becomes interesting. Well, yeah, that's kind of the idea that uh, sparked it. I mean, we talked about our Hatsune Miku episode where, like, you know, Damon had lived the life of a pop star. He understood it's kind of shitty. Yes, and he knew that he could enjoy how shitty pop uh, musicians can be by making them not actually real. So he could make them these big, over-the-top, asshole-type, like, uh, musician idol types. And then then at the end of the day, they're not real, so they don't have to actually exist in real life and be assholes in real life. And so they had so much fun just taking the piss out of all these different um, sort of ridiculous, 
this like taboos about rock musicians. And uh, so, yeah, they got to work and started creating songs and um, illustrating these cartoon characters. So this is what I kind of doing the research. I didn't quite, you know, put together until this week, but they're kind of like off in their own separate dimensions. Mm -hmm. Like it's um, Jamie Hewlett works with his staff and designs the characters and creates artwork and does promotional stuff. And on top of that, like he writes like the little bits and animations and will like provide interviews with the fake characters. And then Damon just kind of fucks off and like does whatever cool music shit he feels like doing. Hewlett said, Gorillas for us now is not like four animated characters anymore. It's more like an organization of people doing new projects in the same way that The Who produced Tommy in all its various forms on record, on stage, on film. That's my ideal model. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> and for some reason, every British person has to end their phrase just like Paul McCartney would or like anyone from the Beatles. And uh, so, like, uh, Hewlett starts cranking out designs and creating artwork. And uh, the name Gorilla is obviously uh, kind of a throwback to the monkeys. The monkeys, and they want, yeah. And they which was be... England's previous fake produced band made exclusively for the enjoyment of uh, of mass media. And this way they didn't have to be based on actual real people, which was like so exciting for them. Well, the early designs kind of, they were just kind of cool drawings of cool young people, uh-huh. like kind of just as, as fake as anything else. And uh, uh, I think it was like people on his staff, people around Hewlett kind of were like, oh, those are just kind of like normal people. These, these characters can be anything. So like, uh, Noodle, like, you know, the character that was Noodle all of a sudden became a tiny child from a box that, like, had yep. secret ninja powers. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about, do, can we go yeah, over Yeah, yeah, let's member? go over the design. So you brought up Noodle, we'll start with her then. Um, a 10-year-old Japanese girl, uh, she was later aged to 13, and then he would start aging her more and more as as she went. But yes, the 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 lore is that they had to, they ran an ad on, uh, out for a uh, new guitarist. The next day, a FedEx package uh, appeared. She, uh, Noodle popped out of the FedEx package, ripped on the guitar so hard, and then spoke a single word to them, and that word was noodle which is how she got her name and then in 2003 noodle visited japan in an attempt to discover her past after being haunted by disturbing oh are we going to go through all the lore because that's that's we're gonna get into that because that is mm, it it gets fucking crazy anyways she learns about like karate arts and stuff it's pretty bonkers um how about uh russell hobbs russell hobbs was uh the uh drummer the percussionist of the group and they kind of did this weird they kind of they reeled this back a lot uh-huh. But the idea was that he was a uh, teenager living in Brooklyn who uh, mm-hmm. was who watched all his friends die in yes. a drive-by yes. shooting. Yes, there was a drive-by <laughs> shooting. He was with a bunch of rappers. Uh, he was friends with a bunch of rappers. There was a drive-by shooting that happened. It killed all of his rapper friends. And put him so, in a coma. <laughs> put him in a coma. And now um, he... Uh, he moved uh, to England. He can invoke the souls of dead rappers from the fictional hip-hop canon. So all those different rappers you hear yeah. on all the tracks, all the verse- coming out their ghosts that are coming out of him and in early videos they would always make sure to show that russell had kind of like zonked his, out yeah, before get all bonkers the before whatever guest rapper was about to drop a verse and uh and uh oh, it's here's the thing is like uh how can what if what if the one black guy is all the black guys yeah, it's <laughs> and like little... noodle is like again this is <laughs> it's like late 90s like you know it's fun ideas and you know they're it's I'm not going to say the word problematic. It's just as time went on there, they kind of smoothed over these edges. And at the time I ate it up like these. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still dig it. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, 
uh, Murdoch. Murdoch Nichols. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? He's the bassist and uh, works the drum machine. He's always angry that he is not the front man of the band, though he is commonly seen as the band's leader. His look is based on a young Keith Richards, and uh, at one point he burnt down the band's home, which was called Kong Studios, for insurance money. Mm. And they ended up living on Plastic Beach. But we'll talk about Plastic Beach in a little bit, won't we? Motherfuckers! Boom! I'm holding McNeely. And uh, the last <laughs> member is uh, 2D, 2D, the front man, who is uh, Nate. I didn't get a lot of lore for him from He's, what I was looking at. I mean, well, I did learn that his name is Stuart Pot, as in Stew Pot, <laughs> which is weird. But uh, he's <laughs> ostensibly the front man. You know, Damon Albarn's vocals are coming out through him. Yes. And uh, all of his vocals are provided by Damon Albarn. And he's uh, always kind of just a uh, just timid and beaten down. And there's kind of an abusive relationship between uh, Murdoch and 2D. Um, and to uh, to lay this out, though, these designs were fucking rad. Yes. Like, way more advanced than, uh, you know, uh, Jamie's kind of uh, earlier Tank Girl stuff. He was uh, doing a lot of stuff digitally before it was uh, kind of the rote standard for illustration. I mean, so many of the choices they made were about, you know, going against the grain, trying new stuff, mm. trying new things digitally, trying new things um, in creative ways that were sort of always trying to just kind of bend what the norm was or take yeah. big risks. Also, really quick, I, I should mention, we got a lot of this enthusiasm from watching Bananas oh, with yeah. a Z, which is a documentary that you can actually find all of on YouTube. Um, the director followed them from the years of 2000 to 2006, so both fucking first albums, and you get to watch all this awesome footage of Hewlett, like, create, like, showing off drawings, but also just, like, talking about them as if they're real characters and stuff, and and, and it's really, really, really cool. You can also see how little Albert actually cares about all his little playthings. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But uh, I got, I still have to just, like, reiterate that as a kid, nothing looked like Jamie Hewlett's art at the time. Like, I was, I had dreams of being a cartoonist at this time. I went to arts, like, art summer camp, and everyone was just aping uh, his style because it had such, like, it was influenced by anime and horror movies and, you know, indie comics, and all of his characters would always have, like, this impeccable street style and this kind of effortlessness, and uh, all the all the videos were like really animated in a cool way with all these unique character designs, and they introduced uh, like uh, okay the Clint Eastwood video. Well, yeah, well, okay. Yeah. But, uh. So the first, <laughs> so the first song, and and I and as a, as a side note to that, you're mentioning how he was able to wrap up all these awesome, very kind of um, extreme styles into one thing. Mm-hmm. And Alburn's doing the same shit with music with this Gorillas project, and that's what's so exciting about all of this and why it came together so well. And they're first track um, that we actually have for you, the first song they recorded for this Gorillaz project was a song called Ghost Train. So how about we hear a little bit of that and then we'll, uh, mm-hmm. that'll kind of give give y'all a good sense of where it, how, where it uh, spawned. Crossover. <laughs> So at the time, 
not not exactly a rock the house, is not it? Not at all, right? <laughs> kind of a slow, steady groove. It's fucking awesome. It's though. really cool, right? And at the time, they just, I guess Alburn, maybe both of them, because I mean, they both kind of had their finger on the pulse, but they got all of like the coolest just mu- music people to work with at the same time for like their first album. And and uh, some of those people include uh, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, um, which if you haven't listened to Hieroglyphics, listen to Hieroglyphics. He's the dude who raps on Clint Eastwood. Um, he's a fantastic rapper. Deltron 3030. Deltron 3030. Um, uh, yeah, they did, you know, um, also uh, Dan the Automator, which, man, brought me back because I'm a big I forgot how much I loved Handsome Boy Modeling School he takes on the persona of Nathaniel Merriweather um, check out the album White People it's so fucking good and again it's just another testament to like they're working with people who get it like people who are also taking on weird personas and doing weird stuff for projects also he got his notoriety from uh, producing and Dan Automator produced the first uh, Gorillaz album he got his notoriety from DJing on, uh, and producing on the Cool Keith a.k.a. Dr. Octagon album, Dr. Octagon <laughs> Ecologist, which made me happy because it gave me the perfect excuse to force you people to listen to Half Shark Alligator, Half Man, one of my favorite songs of all time. Let's just play the intro here. <laughs> yes, you have met the dangerous 208-year-old uncle of Dr. Octagon. I myself, Mr. Gerbic, Half Shark, Half Man, skin like alligator. Carrying a dead walrus. Carrying a dead walrus. <laughs> Why is he carrying a dead walrus? With my white eyes, gray hair, face is sky blue, yellow sirens react. My skin is colored lilac. My skin turned God, orange and green. It has to be colored lilac. Green is the limit. All right, okay. <laughs> Underwater, That's fine. We're good. So while like <laughs> green in the so while, like Limp Bizkit and Corn were combining like bad metal with what they thought was gangster rap, <laughs> Gorillas combined like Brit pop and trip trip hop, which yep. are like were two like much better forms of like, yeah right and all the best people kid koala also yeah. um doing stuff on uh, on the album um uh, unbelievable right it's just just this amazing crew of experimental interesting musicians making really awesome music um and uh, supporting that on the visual side of things was Jamie Hewlett and his team were that were animating music videos like uh tomorrow comes uh Today, I think that's the name of the song. Yeah, Tomorrow Comes Today, Rock the House, 192000. On top of that, their web presence, like for Web 1.0, the Kong Studios site was this virtual playground that was yes. constantly updating itself. Uh, the, the format was basically the idea that you would uh, click through kind of a uh, – click through the studios and like find each band member's room. And there'd be like individual characters that would move from like one room to another each time you came back and they would launch flash games and have like secret videos and like leak tracks. And it was this incredible, like, you know, at the, in the dial up days. Yes. Anyone that took the web seriously had like control of your brain. It's like that Wu Tang Forever album, and you gotta go through Wu Tang's house. <laughs> uh, but Gorillaz did a lot. I remember how bad that Wu Tang, and I remember, I was really impressed with it back in the day. You could put the Wu Tang disc into your disc drive on your computer, and you could walk through their virtual home. But Gorillaz were doing some way more immersive, kind of way more future looking sort of stuff on re- their website. I remember specifically, this was so dumb. This was the dumbest thing, but I thought it was the coolest thing on earth. Uh, the uh, video. Video for 192000 had them like driving through this weird like roller coaster obstacle course in the desert 
And if you went to the website, you could download a free game where you could actually drive through the course in like with crude, bad 90s 3D graphics. And the fact that they even bothered to do that to entertain my stupid 14-year-old butthole was insane to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, of course, their big hit was uh, Clint Eastwood, and I believe we have some of that for you. Um, this was their big showstopper hit from the new album, or that album. big and again it has that cynicism that came so well with uh, Damon Albarn's music I ain't happy I'm feeling glad I got sunshine in a bag I'm useless but not for long the future is coming on I ain't happy I'm feeling glad I got sunshine Oh, we gotta at least get the verse. <laughs> this this launched a thousand like white kids getting into rap, getting into like underground. Rap. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. Now, time for me is nothing because I'm counting no age. Now I couldn't be there. Now you shouldn't be scared. I'm good at repairs and I'm under each snare. Intangible. Bet you didn't think so. I command you. Now he was actually uh, not the original rapper on this track. Are you talking about Five Life Cypher? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was originally and you can hear the original rapper on the B-side, uh, a B-side version of feel, of uh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, but yeah, Dell came in the studio and he just laid down a couple of extra raps on a couple of their songs and mm. they were just so good that they were like, well, fuck it, he's on it now. Yeah, I remember that uh, song came out the summer uh, before our freshman year of uh, college. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I just started college radio and that song came out and it was like, you know when you hear a song and you have that moment like oh like, yeah oh this is possible oh this is what music is can yeah. possibly be oh fucking cool yeah give me more and, and yeah. it's super popular awesome please get yeah. us out of this like shitty dirge of like bullshit music it's called you know? a durst it's called a durst of a durst, a durst <laughs> of this awful shitty durst of music that we were currently in at the time man i liked limp biscuit at one point <laughs> so did I. I did i liked it i liked it i liked limp biscuit i liked corn i like uh, fuck i liked mud vein i, I liked pod because I was a good Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I will say, listening back on that first album, it's great. There's so many interesting choices being made, things like that. But it definitely feels like very uneven. It definitely feels like a template, yeah. you know? Although this is the most in-character album. Like, uh, you know, Dell actually mentions Russell. Uh, there's a bunch of, uh, Damon will actually say, I think it's in the end, you know, uh, gorillas at the base of <laughs> Uh, he affects like a voice you know it's it, the fans have called it the 2d voice uh, more in this album and uh it's kind of it's it's the most it's i think it's the most clear attempt at being the archies that this that the band had reached uh to the point where when they toured finally uh they would appear behind a screen mm -hmm. lit from behind because it wasn't it wasn't, uh, you know, Damon Albarn and the girl from Chivo Mato and Del Levine. You know, yeah. it was gorillas. Yes. And uh, so. What's the um, name of the girl from Chivo Mato that was like, she had all the cool bits, the, all the whole noodle stuff. I yeah. Forgot. She was. And she, also, if none of you have heard Chivo Mato before, go listen to it. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the food album. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> 
to every song's about food, and it's just two super awesome. cute Japanese yeah. girls uh, singing like spacey songs about food. That's awesome. Yeah, like Sugar Water. Uh, Spike Jones did the uh, video for Sugar Water, mm. which is really fucking amazing. Awesome. So um, they decided, why not? Why not keep going with this? As Hewlett said, everyone thought it was a gimmick. If you do it again, it's no longer a gimmick. So they decided to keep working in the studio on a new album that would go on to be called Demon Days. Now, they got a different producer. This time, uh, they decided to go with... An un, uh, a young upstart. Relatively who unknown. I mean, he was like known, but he hadn't proven himself. It was literally the label kind of put him in touch with Alburn because they needed him to have like a big project mm -hmm. to prove his chops and in bananas there's even a uh, like this this one piece of b-roll where it's Damon Alburn talking to Danger Mouse DJ Danger Mouse there you go he got his popularity uh, or at least he got known from the Grey album if you don't know what that is he mixed together the Beatles white album with Jay-Z's black album it's pretty fucking cool it's pretty fucking I'm you know we're uh, at the time you got you know I'd be raving about how it's revolutionary and changed, you know, my life. But now it's just, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like the JDO head album. Do you guys hear that? Yeah. yeah. It yeah. started a lot. He started so a trend. A lot of those. Yeah. So many of those. Uh, and um, this album would feature so many guest acts. It's it's just to name a few of them. Uh, De La Soul, MF Doom, which, I mean, I could kind of almost do an entire episode on him for this because of all the all the crazy, yeah. like, samples that he used that are all related to comic book, to old TV, comic book MF TV Doom's shows. MF Doom's track was just like a little preview of Danger. Danger Doom. Yeah, exactly. And of course, he would go on to work with Danger Mouse on Danger Doom um, for Adult Swim. Uh, and then uh, Booty Brown from Far Side. You've got Dennis Hopper telling a spoken word story. <laughs> I love that track. It's so dumb. Fucking <laughs> London Community Gospel Choir. Uh, it's it's so a children's choir. It's so cool. The the the. It is an amalgamation of like so many different types of music, um, and it's this beautiful, you know. I, I, I mean, this okay. Demon Days is is the thing, right? That's that's like the reason for the season. I feel like that's the culmination of kind of everything that we've said before this up to up to up to now. This is it. This is an important album, especially if you're like in your twenties, right? Yeah. Now. Uh, it, for a lot of people. Did I already? It's like the pet sounds of gorillas. You said that before we started. Okay. I believe. Uh, yes, it's like it is. It is. It is. It it dropped for me right before I left college, and then like I was listening to it up here in New York a bunch. And for me, it was literally, and, and it all happened right around the time of the iPod. So like the gorillas, if you remember, I was trying to find more on this because I felt like they had a, a specific deal with with Apple. But like the iPod and the that Demon Days was like synonymous. Like I just feel like if you had an iPod, you had Demon Days on it. It was and also it was at a an point, iPod commercial, right? Yeah. It was. Mm -hmm. iPod commercial, but also like on on billboards and stuff, you would see the iPod, and on the little the album that it would show yeah. would be Demon Days. That and cover so, is yeah. iconic, so yeah. iconic. maybe You're one totally of like right. the last major iconic album covers. Uh, of the modern yeah. music industry, it, it, and 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 it made so much sense for me at the time because it really felt like like how you felt when you heard uh, Clint Eastwood. When I was listening to Demon Days on my iPod, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm in the future. This is what the what future music sounds like, and this is how future music is listened to. It's all kept in a tiny little metal box that I can keep in my pocket, my entire music library. It just made so much sense. It, it was like perfect. It all came together at once. Yeah, what? and now that commercial is on YouTube as classic iPod commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, well, oh, God. I mean, half of the 
thing with gorillas is that because they're virtual, they can, you know, it's like Miku. They can pitch anything. You know, there's so many uh, different collaborations yeah. that, like. They can be whatever, anything. Yeah. They can just, uh, yeah. But the thing that hits me the most is we've talked about this a lot on the show in previous episodes that you should go back and listen to and rate and review on iTunes. Um, <laughs> is uh, this was. This whenever the kitty thing gets a little bit darker, that's like money in the bank. Whenever like the thing you liked gets a little bit more mature, that's like super clutch, especially if you're at that right age. So like mm-hmm. the same way that Batman became the Dark Knight, uh, you know the the flat colors and kind of just like cool digital street uh, look of the first Gorillaz album gave way and now like now the cartoons are all sad and kind of a little weary yeah and you listen to the tone of the album and it is downright cautionary and mournful it was meant to be a depiction of a journey through the night in which each track represents a confrontation with a personal demon and it was inspired by a trip with his family from beijing to mongolia um at which point he hit a he hit just a giant tract of uninhabitable land full of yeah. dead trees and no life. A weird, unspoken, <laughs> forgotten part of China. It was basically dead trees as far as the eye could see. Dust bowls, loose earth rapidly turning into the des- into desert. There are little satellite towns in the middle of these semi-deserts that are absolutely on their knees. And it's the size of Europe, this area. <laughs> uh, this was also around the same time... Uh, what year was this again? Uh, oh, this this two thousand six. Two thousand five was uh, well, it was released, but yeah, I okay. feel like you know it just kept gaining, yeah. you know, um, in but terms this was of during, popularity. This was so. during the Bush years, and a big yeah. thing with Alburn's work is, yeah, he was the son of like artists and lived in London and was like a liberal arts school kid. Like he fucking hates Republicans, so anytime a Republican is in office, he's gonna write about the end of the world. Yeah, yeah pretty well, much. Well, uh, I mean, the first album was right before 9-11. It was right. in 2001, and right. it was like the summer before 9-11, so like months before, and this is like, I mean, when the Iraq war is really hitting, and the only people that were writing protest music were the British, Yeah, uh, and being the gorillas and, you know, Radiohead's Hail Gorillas Gorillas did 9-1-1 with, I believe, D-12, is D-12 the name? Eminem's Yeah, group? yeah. Mm-hmm. Eminem group Sans Eminem, the gorillas teamed up with them and they did a 9-11 protest song called 911. Um but uh so the album is about like encroaching doom and like uh and how you have to keep you know don't get lost in heaven and are we the last living souls and it it definitely has this foreboding like fucked up energy about it. Yeah. It's beautiful. I guess haunting. The word is haunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it really went along with that dystopian near future that I was like, we're in it. <laughs> we're in it. The even thing. The, even the happy song is a little like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. It, yeah. it was, but it's, but it's also, but the name as well is kind of like disto is feel good ink. Yeah. Like it's also dystopian as well because yeah. it's like, okay, feeling good. Like this is a manufactured thing a that we are, a corporation is making happiness for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, all the videos seem connected to one another. They're like, oh, there's these mysterious shadowy figures everywhere. Uh, what's the uh, El Manana had just like Black Hawk helicopters trying to blow up Noodle. <laughs> like everything was going a little bit crazy. Uh, Dare, which is like a really bouncy song, is also about how like you shouldn't lose yourself to full hedonism in spite of the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that song. Is Comono? Oh, uh, factoid about Dare. Uh, the the hook. The is Comono? Is Comono? Is Comono? Is Dare? Uh, is the uh, guest singer from uh, Happy Mondays? What's the 
Goodbye. Oh, uh, Sean Ryder. Yeah, Sean Ryder. Yeah, yeah, Happy Uh, Mondays. Is Sean Ryder. He came in. He had no plan for what he was going to sing, but the volume was too low in his headphones, and it's literally him, like, telling the the engineer, like, it's coming up, it's coming up, it's coming up. It's there. Like, it's there. <laughs> it's not like dare isn't what he's singing. <laughs> that does not surprise me about Sean Ryder at all. 24-hour awesome. party people. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that album sold uh, millions of copies, went went multi-platinum and multiple in Australia, in mm-hmm. England, and in, in America, respectively. It I mean, was. Do we want to hear the, the big track? Yeah, let's do it. Just cut directly to the weird Della Sola. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a dystopian video that it's in a skip, industrial skip, skip. wasteland. <laughs> and it's another one of those songs that got used in commercials a fucking ton. Million times. But it's still like. This yeah. is still an amazing fucking song yeah. and a great video. I was amazing. to it earlier. I, I, you know, I feel like I wore this album out, mm-hmm. uh, but at listening to it again today, I'm like, fuck, I can finally come back around to this shit a little bit, you know, which felt nice. Felt it's, good. Uh, oh, my computer shut down. Anyway. Oh, uh, no, what will we do without your notes? Uh... <laughs> But the album has, it's constructed like a real album. There's like peaks and valleys. One song flows to another. There's a thematic, uh, there's a thematic thing throughout the end. It even has that wonderful like choral ending at the end. Yeah, it was like, like, somebody said, I'm butchering how this was, how this was said, but they said it doesn't tell like an actual specific story, but it tells a story musically in the sense that like the music really feels like it has an arc. Mm-hmm. to it like not necessarily in the in the vocals like it's not like it's a concept necessarily like or, or a story album but musically you really go through a full arc and 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 i really got that that really resonated with me when i read i don't that. even mind that weird dennis hopper spoken word interlude yeah. which usually yeah it was be, that'd be the dumbest thing in the world but there's and, dennis and, hopper being like the happy people lived until the dark ones came upon, like what kind of like, like, and then Damon Albarn being like, "I'm a political genius. <laughs> <laughs> That'll stop war." <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh, really take USA. that, Tony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fucking Blairites. <laughs> There's really not uh, not a uh, uh, dud on on the whole thing. It's it's really it's really something amazing. Which again was amazing. Was perfect for the iPod, where you can put it on shuffle, where you could throw, you know, you could skip to any track and it would be great, you know. And that, that really like I think helped push fucking units for Apple to be honest with you um and so uh well after that it was it was quite some time before they released uh I, you know they did a tour mm-hmm. uh and especially oh uh I almost skipped a little bit of some of their li- their live stuff is fascinating um I mean they were kind of the first you know you saw a lot of at award shows they would always bust this out but that same Tupac technology with the projector on the transparent it's called screen Musion eyeliner which gives a lifelike appearance to sort of animated uh, folks on stage, of course, used in the Tupac, Dr. Dre, uh, uh, Snoop Dogg concert where it looks like Tupac's on stage with them rapping. Well, they did it at the 2005 MTV Europe Music Awards, and they also, I believe, later did it on the Grammys where they used Musion Eyeliner in order to kind of show them. And I love watch because De La Soul's on stage with them, but, like, that's that's where I really caught a glimpse of their shitting on popular musical acts because, like, while De La Soul's rapping... um, 
um, I believe it's 2D, like, just pulls his cell phone out and starts, like, looking at it. Like, they don't give a fuck. Like, they just don't give a shit at all about, like, being on stage and, like, doing I, what they're doing. I remember being a kid, like, seeing the hype for this. Like, oh, it's going to be the gorillas, but for real live. And actually seeing it and just being like, okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. It's, I mean, it's they're on a screen. It's more exciting. Yeah. To see. It's like, what did you expect, Muppets? I it's... I would have fucking loved Muppets. That would have been cool. I would have fucking cool. giant fucking mascot <laughs> costumes. Oh, that would have been amazing. But like, it's it, you know, it's something happens. Like, it never quite clicked. Uh, they've been doing this with the new release. They have like they're doing live interviews using like motion captured tech, oh, that's and cool. the, and it looks like kind of wonky. Yeah. Even during these like live things that were supposed to be revolutionary, it's like okay, you're doing that. You loop that animation with Murdoch doing the crazy tongue thing again. Right, right. And, and you know, it is more exciting to watch, like, just straight-up gorillas live because yeah. you've got, like, a choir on stage. You've got, like, all these different musicians doing all this amazing stuff. at the same. I mean, it is just a little bit more riveting to watch them. But um, still, uh, pretty cool. The Musion eyeliner stuff is pretty cool, and uh, learning about that was interesting. There's, It's a whole weird thing where they take a – metalized film and placed it across the front of the stage at a 45 degree angle towards the audience and uh, recessed below the screen is a bright image supplied by an LED screen or powerful projector and that's what gives the audience the illusion that a real walking moving figure is in mm -hmm. front of them on stage. It's very cool stuff. Very, very uh, high tech. Um, and so... They took some time off, it seems. Um, I don't actually have the year that Escape to Plastic Beach came out. Um, well, uh, uh, the deal with Plastic Beach is they had this – is, this is kind of the story of Jamie Hewlett's contributions is he makes amazing artwork. Uh, you know, he runs an amazing, like, uh, team that does an incredible job with, like, web technology and digital technology. But he's always talking about how they're always on the verge of a gorilla's movie. Yeah, it's always they're always about, talking about a movie. It's always like, oh, they're this close to like a major movie project, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, like when it's just like the gorillas characters like goofing off without the music behind them, it's not that great. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, the, it's, it's just kind of cheeky British humor. Yeah. And it's just Murdoch being like, ah, but scum back. And 2D being like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely really sold with the music. And also, though, of course, knowing them, every time they get on the phone with, like, Hollywood, yeah. they immediately are like, okay, well, Hollywood can go fuck itself. We'll just keep making British, you know, like crazy albums and stuff, which is hilarious. But it's just so funny. They're like, we're going to make a movie. We're going to make a movie. Get on the phone with Hollywood executives. After two minutes, they want to throw up <laughs> and they just immediately give up and, you know, well, throw the phone against the wall. I mean, it's not, it's, it's kind of a common thing. Everyone from like Terry Gilliam to like Walt Disney, if you're an animator, you are used to a very specific level of control. Like the entire yeah. genre is built on creating exactly what is in your mind and putting it on the screen. And so, like Hewlett just kind of can't let go of the fact that like a lot of what makes gorillas popular is out of his control. Yeah. So, uh, especially in the uh, bananas documentary, there's a lot of like squabbling about how like Damon Alburn like is like kind of breaking kayfabe all the time. And uh, uh, this also happened in plastic beach a bunch, but you know, Hewlett wants these characters to be alive. Uh, they made that book rise of the ogre, which goes deep into all these characters lore. And it is almost unintelligible garbage, but the art is so fucking rad, which is kind of the history of Hewlett. It's it's this disconnect, and so Carousel was supposed to be this grand, like, you know, it was supposed to be a movie and an album and uh, this this 
uber gorillas project this like fruition of all this hard work and world building and it completely fell apart yeah because like okay feel good ink was a good song but like we're not going to give you a hundred million dollars to go into the mystical history of britain right yeah exactly starring murdoch and russell (laughs) (laughs) and noodle so they ended up moving on to escape to plastic beach um alburn said i'm making this the biggest and most pop record i've ever made in many ways but with all of my experience to try and at least present something that has got depth now he had uh, performances from. He Snoop- turned Australian at the end there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the death. Uh, Snoop Dogg, Lou Reed, Most Def, Bobby Womack, De La Soul again, and the Lebanese National Orchestra <laughs> for, for Oriental Arabic music. Uh, all all played a part. I'm. Uh, I really like the Lou Reed song. I actually remember when it first came out. I was kind of underwhelmed. I listened to it again recently and was slightly a little bit more whelmed. But uh, uh, definitely really dug the uh, Lou Reed track on there and uh, some of the other. It has its moments. It kind of feels more like the first album, yeah. if anything, than uh, the second. Um, I just don't think you're going to be able to compete with uh, Demon Days. Like, I just well, don't it think it didn't. happens. It sold like, yeah. maybe 1.7 million copies. Uh, yeah. On top of that, like the videos were getting way more expensive. Stylo, uh, which was had like full CGI versions of the characters, a cameo by bruce willis a car chase like that was a really underwhelming like it didn't make a mark it was barely a hit um on melancholy hill was a pretty good uh was a pretty good track that Uh was that was fairly popular that's another one you can hear in like movie soundtracks and commercials but even that like that song alone damon alburn had three bells personally forged each one costing 8,000 British pounds <laughs> just to play three notes that he thought it would be rad on the song. <laughs> like, Good this God. was more of his excuse to kind of just play around and, like, kind of, you know, uh, yeah, just uh, Bobby Womack, especially, like, he was a soul fan growing up. And so this was him just collaborating Being with Brian me. Wilson. Yeah. And he even talked about uh, in an interview how for one of the songs, he was trying to get that Pet Sounds vibe, that Beach Boys vibe. And then he realized what it was, was he, always, he he went and watched some old footage of them and all the other members are smiling while they're singing. And Brian Wilson's like all bummed out and stuff and super mopey and sad. So he did three different harmonies, two in which he was <laughs> smiling and a third in which he was like frowning, frowny face. And he said he, he was able to capture the same vibe because of that wow yeah isn't that awesome that's not a commercial success (laughs) (laughs) fucking cool though um and uh uh so what i do think is actually a more interesting album even though it's even probably even more underwhelming but i still think more fascinating is the fall uh the entire album was recorded on damon alburn's ipad during the american leg of the escape from plastic beach world tour in october it's of kind of the digital version of tooling around in your hotel room on a four-track tape player. yeah he made it with a bunch of music apps on his fucking ipad it's he said i literally made it on the road i didn't write it before i didn't prepare it i just did it day by day as a kind of diary of my experience experience in america if i left it until the new year to release it then the cynics out there would say oh well it's been tampered with but i if I put it out now, they'd know that I haven't done anything because I'd been on tour ever since. Because he literally put it out, like, I think within the same year of mm-hmm. uh, Escape from Plastic Beach. And, uh, yeah, it's a really cool album. They released their own um, 
version of the of an iPad app called iElectribe on uh, by Korg, which features loops and samples taken from the fall as well as other samples. So that's another just a really interesting what, thing they this did. This is with where it. there was a falling out. Yes, because uh, the Plastic Beach did not c- succeed commercially and the same level as Demon Days or the first album. Uh, Hewlett got his budget slashed on all these like creative things he wanted to do. And on top of that, he was building up all this lore. Like, if you look at the Plastic Beach videos, it is, like, folding in on itself. Like, all the... He's, like, kind of going a little too nuts with with the Gorillaz universe, especially for something that they kind of put together because something else fell through. Yeah. On top of that, like, if you went to a Gorillaz live show, it wasn't about, like, video trickery or effects or the... You just saw Damon Albarn hang out with a bunch of cool musicians he wanted to hang out with. Yeah. And on top of that, he dropped an album that, like... Jamie Hewlett, you know, didn't have any phases or, like, designs really for. He just kind of, you know, he kind of moved ahead without his input. So it kind of just became a thing where, like, well, what am, what's even... I thought this was supposed to be our thing. You know, the you know you do the sounds, I do the visuals. And it he kind of got frustrated with the whole process. And from the beginning, this was always the tension. Was Alburn kind of just, like, goofing around and, like, pursuing his musical muses while Hewlett was, like, building this fantasy rock meta universe around it uh-huh and the two didn't always quite fit so they were on the outs but they apparently ended up um getting back together uh and and resolving their differences and uh now they uh are working or are very soon what what is this later this week as of this the week. time of this recording uh they're coming out with the album humans with a z um it is an emotional response to politics they said he he you know uh, he, he would tell collaborators uh, Imagine Albert, the wacky scenario That Donald Trump would uh, win the 2016 U.S. presidential election As, <laughs> as an example As an example of something insane And then later noting, noting that Unfortunately became a reality But he said it's an emotional response And not an actually political album And anytime anyone even mentioned Trump Like in a rap song or something He would actually have it edited out He didn't want to give the most famous man in America Any more fame mm-hmm. uh, He also described the music that he's written though As being very upbeat, humorous and positive at the same time. Um, There's a lot of solid tracks on the album. Yeah. Uh, I've been oh, you've heard it? This thing is corporate as fuck. Like, there yeah. are so many different, like, mobile companies and fashion companies yeah. and car companies. They've been all... dropping it and everything. Uh, I mean, let's d- definitely acknowledge that Damon Auburn knows how to make a fucking buck. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Uh, and so um, a little cool story as we we're going to play uh, to end the episode. We're going to play a song, uh, a song off the new album. It's called We Got the Power. And um, it features guest vocals from Ginny Beth, the lead singer from the British band The Savages, as well as uh, American rapper Dram. But also, and what I love about mm-hmm. this, Jake and I were talking about this before the episode. We're so happy this whole thing comes full circle. Noel Gallagher sings backup vocals on the new Gorillaz album, thus finally, finally resolving the Battle of Britpop rift that had been between them for so, so long. It's a very positive song, kind of a reaffirmation, even with all the doom and gloom that is also in the album. Yeah. Oh, and real quick, what did you say about Liam Gallagher? Oh, well, uh, even after the height of the Britpop beef, Damon Albarn finally got success in America with Gorillaz, and when asked about uh, that, Liam Gallagher, the frontman for Oasis, asked, you know, like, how do you feel about Gorillaz? And Liam was like, oh, it's children's music, isn't it? Uh, to which both Hewlett and Albarn have said, yeah, that was the whole point. We want kids' music. You know, if we're going to have fake bands, let's make it better. But uh, Noel Gallagher was also asked about Liam Gallagher's quote, and uh, Noel politely said, 
Oh, yeah, fuck Liam. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything before we play this song, is there anything else you want to say as we wrap up our uh, our episode on the gorillas? Um, it's just a very specific kind of point in time, and it's weird how they always kind of like come in every once every few years. Uh, it, it's kind of, you know, it's not 90s nostalgia in my mind. This is like aughts nostalgia, which is kind of a weird vein to strike. It's, uh, But it's cool art, it's cool music, and... It's, I don't care if it's fake, man. Plus, they like now noodles not a just now noodles just a Japanese lady and not like a weird robot. <laughs> and uh, for me, it's just about. Did we talk about, about how they made noodle a weird robot? <laughs> <laughs> it's for me. It's about just just being so open to all your influences and really just being an eclectic artist. And also to be an artist, you really if you start getting safe and if you start getting you know feeling like you're an expert at something, that is the exact moment to jump off the cliff and and go into some uh, forbidden unknown territory um you can follow me holdnators ho on twitch uh, you can follow me on twitter at best jpm all right and enjoy we got the power take care everybody shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.